to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog owners. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Harris. I'm a certified professional dog trainer, and I hope to give you a fresh outlook on your dog's behavior and practical dog training advice. So I am really freaking excited to share this conversation with you. Um, I know that a lot of you beautiful people listening have reactive dogs. And in this episode, um, my special guest and I talk about what a lot of the causes of reactivity are and how you can kind of prevent some of that and work through the reactivity. So um, before we jump into today's episode, I want to introduce my special guest. So Cecilia is based in the UK and has a master's degree in animal behavior management from the University of Lincoln. She also spent two weeks working with wolves. Uh, Cecilia has been working with dogs for five years, but only recently took the plunge to going self-employed towards the end of 2019 when she started her own business. Her business is called C3 Dog Behavior and Training, and she primarily works with owners and their dogs to overcome various behavioral problems. However, she does offer virtual consults and puppy training too. Um, She is also currently training her nearly 11th month old uh, working golden retriever to eventually compete in gun dog working tests. Um, she is brilliant um, and wise, and we had such a lovely conversation. So, guys, please enjoy this episode. Um, and she does let you know how you can connect with her at the end of the episode. But she recently started a podcast called the Brutally Honest Dog Training Podcast. So, be sure to subscribe to that podcast and listen to that. And then I think she's also going to share this conversation on that podcast. So, you can listen to it either here or or there. Enjoy. All right, everybody, we are going to talk about reactivity today, and we're not really going to talk about training through reactivity. What we're really going to focus on is what is the cause of reactivity, what could be causing your dog's reactivity. And my hope is that for some of you listening who have a reactive dog, um, who will probably have another dog in the future. I really hope that this information will be beneficial for you for hopefully, hopefully preventing some of the reactive behavior in your next dog. Um, so let's talk about causes of reactivity. So um, Cecile, why don't you go first? Let's, let's give oh, us your thoughts on this. I know you have <laughs> a lot of reactivity too. Oh God, where do I start? I mean, so you want sort of what can cause reactivity? Well, I want to hear, okay, so first of all, you work, excuse me, you work with a lot of reactivity cases, don't you? Yes, yes, I do. Right, so um, I think that we both are very, like, experienced in the, like, after the fact, like, okay, the dog is already reactive, but I think that, you know, so many of the reactive dog owners listening to this are like, okay, but why? Like, why are they like this? So I think that um, I want to kind of dive into that. Um, You want to talk about maybe genetics first, and then we can kind of like do the progression of maybe outside of genetics. Yeah. Okay. So um, in my experience with reactive dogs, I tend to the dogs that tend to be reactive. I mean, I don't. I guess this comes to down to tend to be small dogs, but small dogs have have other reasons why they're reactive um but genetics so i find that dogs like so bully breeds um and i don't i'm very much a a deed not breed person but you know we can't ignore that certain breeds have certain predispositions um so i tend to find that um reactive dogs dogs 
for example, who tend to become reactive. So bully breeds, I generally find they become, they can be quite reactive. And I find that also bully breeds where say something like a collie, which is another example of, of breeds that can become quite reactive. Um, whereas a collie is more of a nipper, I find that bully breeds are biters. So generally I find that in my experience, bully breeds tend to cause more damage um if if something does happen and it's a lot harder to to kind of um like i said whereas a collie would would nip so it's not the severity is different but yeah so breeds like um bully breeds collies german shepherds working breeds high energy dogs um who have obviously quite normally quite high drives um tend to obviously are more likely to become reactive because obviously you have to imagine you have to remember that those dogs are really intelligent um and, and if if they aren't introduced to stuff properly then they will very very quickly decide that they almost that they need to kind of sort the situation out if that makes sense yeah um and when they do that and they realize that the nipping and the biting and and whatever works then obviously it gets reinforced yeah <laughs> so well, and I think, you know, I think it's important to remember for everyone listening that like, you know, if you already have an existing dog, it's probably too late to be thinking about genetics. You know what I mean? But mm -hmm. if you're looking into a dog, right, and you want to get a dog, genetic makeup absolutely matters. And yeah. if mom and dad have reactive tendencies, that is likely going to transition to your puppy, right? And it's yes. not always and forever. It's not a hard, fast rule, but like genetically speaking, some dogs can just be more predisposed to the reactivity. And like, I mean, to circle back to your point, like the shepherds, the, the colleagues, yeah. right? Like mm -hmm. the, the working dynamic of that, I really find that that's when it, <laughs> exactly to your point, they want to take things into their own hands, right? Where they're like, yeah. what's going on here? I think I'm just going to go ahead and tell this person. Because they're off. smart. Because they're smart dogs. I mean, you know, a, a dog that's that's probably not as as intelligent, you know, would probably be a lot more likely to, I don't know, be a bit more docile about it. But you have a you have a dog who who re, who who is bred to to react on instincts, you know. So they're a lot likely more likely to just be like, right, okay, so you're not doing anything, I will. <laughs> And it's so true. And I feel like, you know, reactivity is a gigantic label that we're using to kind of encompass all of this. But I think, you know, just to clarify for everyone listening, reactivity, we're talking about outward displays, right? So yep. lunging, barking, charging, yep. um, you know, those are some of the behaviors we're kind of encompassing in this. And I think that there's definitely a distinction between reactive and aggressive, um, but they can definitely mm -hmm. feed into each other. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've met a lot of dogs that are reactive that aren't aggressive. And I've met a lot of dogs that are aggressive that aren't reactive. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So I yeah. think that's just a really good distinction to make. So everybody is clear on that. But I think, you know, genetically speaking, I think that, you know, if you're, say you're out looking for your new puppy, like ask those questions about yeah. the parents of the litter. And, you know, yeah. I know that a lot that's of- That's a very, very good point. That's a very good point. I completely forgot, yeah, about looking at, if you go to a home um, and the mum is erratic, chant, you're more like you're, you're playing with fire there, really. <laughs> right, right. And like, it doesn't mean you shouldn't take that puppy, but it means you shouldn't have false expectations about like yeah. who this puppy will be. 
right? Yes. And I think yes. that, you know, a lot of the wonderful people listening to this podcast are reactive dog owners, right? And you're like, oh yeah, okay, now I'm, I'm realizing some of these things maybe I could do. Mm-hmm. And like, obviously in the rescue world, that's not always possible. But, you know, especially Mm -hmm. where in the States, you know, the rescue world, typically mom is there, right? So understand the temperament of mom, because that's going to give you really good insight into who your puppy will become. And like I said, it doesn't have to be a deal breaker, but if, you know, I, I'm working with a German shepherd puppy, for example, that I know comes from relatively reactive lines, I'm going to be doing a hell of a lot more early on in that puppy's life. Yes. I I would, if it was just, you know, a a golden retriever who mom was non-reactive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that it's important to remember that like there's so many different contributing factors to reactivity, but genetics is absolutely a part of that. Um, Yeah. 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 I mean, you can't, you can never ignore genetics. Never, never. And if you're ignoring genetics, then good luck (laughs) because (laughs) it's not going to work well for you at the end of the day, (laughs) but good luck. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) Okay. So, I want to talk about, I want to talk about things that could cause reactivity and also things that could prevent reactivity in the early socialization window. So we're talking about puppies here, right? So puppies, you know, from birth to 16 weeks, you can make or break a puppy a lot. That's not always and forever, right? But there's Mm -hmm. a lot that can happen in that window that I think can cause and or prevent reactivity depending how you're doing it. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think the biggest thing for me, um, and, and I don't know if, if you saw, saw my post or, or whatever, but I, I like, I'm very much about reading a dog's body language. So I know of, uh, I think the, the biggest misconception is, um, socialization for the puppies. People think they just have to throw their puppy into every single situation, get them meeting every single dog I can without actually watching the dog. Um, absolutely get your puppies to these, you know, um, you know, go, go, socialize them, take them to places, get them to meet dogs, but you should be watching their body language at all times. And I don't think enough owners know about body language and reading body language because if say, for example, you have a puppy and you have a busy house, for example, and you know, this puppy starts showing signs that it's very unsure. It's very fearful. It doesn't like all these people around yet. People are still passing this puppy round. that can negatively. And actually I have a client who's, who, um, whose dog is, is quite, can be quite nervous of people coming into the home because I think this is one of the contributing factors, again, not ignoring genetics and, and, and early stages and stuff. Um, the dogs are spits as well. So they're, prone to barking um <laughs> so yeah if 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 you have a puppy and it, it's showing signs of being unsure or fearful and you're just still passing this puppy round, you are you are running the risk of that puppy then becoming having a negative association with people because they've had that negative association in that window and obviously if these people carry on ignoring the signs the puppy then might decide okay no one's doing anything again we we get back to the same point nothing no one's doing anything for me I'm gonna nip and see what happens the puppy nips the hand or whoever pulls away the puppy's then being reinforced for, for nipping and then if people then still continue the puppy's nipping the puppy then will progress to biting because the puppy will be like okay that's not working anymore let me up the intensity you know so you have to be so so careful same thing if if they're feeling overwhelmed if they're in a group of dogs you have 
I think puppy owners, new puppy owners need to watch dog body language so they can get their puppy and think, okay, my puppy's unsure. Let me, let me, let me go and help them. Let me be their advocate because people don't realize how many problems you would avoid if you just did that, you know, across the board, not even just when it comes to reactivity, just across the board. Yeah, no, and it's so true. And I think that, you know, when it comes to puppies, right, I feel like the, the general public, right, they have this perception of like, I have this blank slate, we can do all of this, but mm -hmm. that's just the beginning, right? And if mm -hmm. you can't be there to understand, support, and adjust to what your puppy needs, and it's not even just like, you know, through, through puppyhood, but maybe even just in that day. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that the puppies, there's a lot of up and down, right? Where puppies are like, oh, everyone's amazing. And then the next day they're like, I'm not so yeah. sure. About it. Yeah. Especially <laughs> when they hit six months and they hit their second fear period and it throws people off. And then they're like, oh my God, we need to, my puppy's now reactive. And then they make a big deal of it and they actually cause a problem. Whereas if they just ignored it, it wouldn't have happened. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And I think that, you know, I think that there's this weird cultural thing where we feel like, well, they'll just be fine. They'll just figure it out. And that could not be further from the truth. I think that that attitude and mindset is definitely a huge contributing factor to not only reactivity, but I think some of the other behavior problems that we see come up. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, although I do, I think if you had a dog, so my dogs, for example, I use them with a lot of my reactivity cases because they're very dog body language savvy and if for example say was approaching one of the dogs and I do notice a bit if it was body language that was absolutely categorically no something bad's going to happen but if Sable was showing good signs and the other dog was showing maybe neutral borderline negative something like that personally I would let play out because I know Saber can handle it and if the dog's not showing anything outwardly then they need to learn to read those subtle signs and I think if you don't give them the chance then the dog needs to learn as as well because obviously you can't be micromanaging every single interaction they have because that would be exhausting and it's impossible um but obviously in early stages of dog reactivity you you would you would we wouldn't allow that a chance to happen in anyway i mean with all my reactivity cases i will generally recommend that we muzzle train the dog first and foremost um but i do think yeah there's there's let, letting them just fight and, and have at it absolutely no <laughs> no <laughs> do no don't do that um but if if so like I said, I, I use my dogs as, as stooges quite a lot. So if, cause I trust, cause I trust them. Um, then if they were showing appropriate body language, I would then, especially if the dog's in a way in its reactivity journey, I would, that's a situation I would let play out because it's like, okay, if, if Saber's responding properly and this dog's showing borderline, um, like I said, negative to neutral, but they're kind of pushing more towards neutral. That's a situation I would let play out. Um, but then if, say for example I don't know Sabre approached the dog stiffened up and then um Sabre didn't move away or then I, I the dog didn't loosen its body language because sometimes you can have one, one dog sniffing and then once the other dog kind of realizes they're not doing anything nasty they kind of relax but if they stayed in that stiff state then I would call Sabre away for example so you, you like I said you've got to know how to read your dog and the other dog yeah right and it all boils down to body language and the more adept you can be at understanding your dog in those moments. And, you know, I think to your point, there's that fine line, right? Of like, when do we intervene? And that's when, why you need a professional. Yeah. Professional. And when <laughs> you let it play out, right? Yeah.
Um, but yeah. I think as far as like young, young puppies are concerned, and I think that if it's just like young puppy dog dynamic, if the other dog is social and puppy safe, that's when you just want to let the puppy work it out, right? Because yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's going to happen. That other dog is going to be there to support them. But, you know, I think that, and I don't know what it's like for you, right? Like, because I know that location and where we are, like culturally speaking, there's just a bit of a difference in dog ownership. Yeah, I think, I think the UK is a bit more progressive than in the US from what I understand. Yeah, and I think that in the US, I see so much reactivity because every single dog is always on a leash, which, you know, there, there have to be leash laws. But I think that there's a lot of elements to that that promotes and creates reactivity. Right? Yes, leave frustration. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Right? I'll come down. So, I'll come down. <laughs> so I think it's important, right, that we're understanding the dynamic of like our dogs interacting with dogs and people without the dynamic of the leash. Yes. Right? And that's mm -hmm. a dynamic. I feel like there is a little bit more opportunity for us to like let it play out without our intervention and I think that that's advisable because to your point we can't micromanage right like that's an impossible situation but I think that the challenge a lot of you know owners and the U.S. are facing is that it's not an off-leash setting right and I think that you know okay. yeah. there's a lot of like okay we have to move away now we're putting tension in the leash and here we are which is the spiral of every time a puppy sees another dog there's tension in the leash right? And then there's just this escalation of building. Mm. So I think that as mm. far as like puppies in the early socialization window, for all mm. of you beautiful people listening, my advice to you would be do your best to avoid tension in the leash at all costs. Yes, yes, yes. Because I yeah. think we can yeah. start there. <laughs> we yeah. have so much more hope of it es not escalating. We're de-escalating yeah. the situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. Tension in the leash is a big no-no. Yeah. Right. Okay. So um, I think that some other negative things that can happen inside the early socialization window, I think to your point about like a puppy being worried about people and constantly being bombarded with people, that's definitely going to escalate to the puppy being like, no one is listening to me. Yeah. So I'm going to have to tell you guys how I'm feeling. So I think that always setting up safe places and honoring puppies needs and desires. If you have a puppy and you have a busy house and that puppy is not adapting well to that, you need to create a safer, quieter place yeah. for that to succeed crate train all day every day <laughs> all day every day I'm, I'm a huge advocate for crates oh my gosh I don't know how people raise puppies without them how it's <laughs> sometimes when I get pulled in and they haven't done any crate training and they're like oh we just leave the puppy loose I'm like excuse me <laughs> oh I, I just I just it just doesn't make and then obviously I mean the main argument I, I mean I, this is a rabbit hole I mean I don't know if we can go down this rabbit hole but um uh, the main argument I hear is that they're cruel, but I'm just like, if you if you introduce them properly, they are, they will stop your dog. They will they will prevent, which which should because if they don't do the behaviour, they shouldn't learn. It will prevent your dog from chewing it, chewing shoes, chewing stuff, just get getting into stuff which you don't want them getting into. It just you wouldn't leave a baby unattended. Right, right. So why right? would you putting them in a cot's not cruel? So why is it cruel to put what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. All about puppy training. I all about crate training. Yeah. yeah. Um. So okay. So I want to talk just a little bit more about early experiences as far as dogs and other dogs are concerned. Yeah. So I think that you know I see this 
pretty consistently where like happy social puppy, they interact with a dog who is not puppy safe and it, they have a negative experience. Whether they, most of the time, it's not that they're actually getting physically hurt, it's more the emotional baggage after the fact. Yep. So please, everyone listening, protect your puppies, right? Like no, I would not let my puppy interact with any dog that I wasn't 100% sure was puppy safe. No, me neither. Right? Because if, mm-hmm. if, if that happens then, we've really just foiled the whole positive experience in the early socialization window that we're looking yep. for. Yep. It, it's just, it's just the thing is you can get, so going kind of a, a tie into genetics, you do, you will get, so dogs like labs, golden retrievers, is a, they can have a bad experience and they can brush it off a lot more. They're more likely to. But if you have a, a, a breed that's more predisposed, like, like the, well, the working breeds we mentioned earlier, it's you're playing with fire if you let them have a bad experience because all it can take is one real bad experience and you have a reactive dog in your hands. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, especially there's a lot of dogs in in the U S that are coming on transport from other States that have already had questionable early life experiences. Mm. And I feel like those rescue puppies, we have to protect even further because Mm -hmm. their ability to recover not always as quick and sometimes not there's not really recovering happening right there's just like negative imprints that then you're you're working through the rest of the dog's life Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right so I think that those are definitely some examples of like things that can one prevent reactivity and two on the flip side of that right like cause reactivity yeah 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 yeah. And I think, you know, so I, I want to shift outside of the socialization window, right? Because I think that obviously there's a whole, whole lot more life to live there outside of the mm-hmm. early socialization mm-hmm. window. So, you know, I think that everything we said in the early socialization window sticks, but I think that um, to your point, right? Like in the six, seven. Oh, eight, actually, eight, sorry, oh. sorry. Would it be okay to just brush on something about the yeah. early socialization window? Because I just want to, because obviously you spoke about a negative example, but also allowing your puppy to get too over aroused is also a problem because that can also feed into reactivity. Um, and I actually wanted, I wanted to mention that because obviously you also get the other side of the coin where, oh my God, my puppy loves everyone. Da, 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 da. And then, you know, you, that puppy continually sees dogs as such a source of play that they then become reactive because that's what they want beyond any means. And obviously if you have the tension on top of that, like you mentioned with the lead tension, then you get a dog who gets so frustrated because they're, if they're already in that arousal state, it's very easy for them to switch from a positive to negative. And then for them to then just go, they'll just snap or whatever. Um, so yes, I just wanted to add, to add that. So don't, I think with puppies, you want them to have a, a healthy level of curiosity and you want them to, to enjoy other people, other dogs and stuff. But essentially, franticness is not good. Enthusiasm, fantastic. But franticness, you don't want that at all because it's, it's just letting your dog kind of get into that, that, that state where they, they literally can't process will not benefit you in any way. Yeah. And seriously, such a good point. And I feel like such a brilliant bridge into like the next, like, you know, rest of a dog's life outside of an early socialization window, because I think that this happens so freaking much is that, you know, people are working so hard to socialize the dog with other dogs, but what they're really doing is teaching the dog just to go buck wild every time they see a dog. Right. (laughs) 
And like, we have to have a happy medium of that, right? Mm -hmm. It can't be like, oh my God, every single dog ever I get to interact with, it is yeah. the best. Because, because then you run, the, you run the risk of, of a bad experience happening because if your dog bounds over to another dog who isn't great with other dogs, you have a, you, you, nine times out of 10, you'll have a dog fight in your hands. Um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that this happens a lot to the, the older puppies, right? Like the six, seven, eight month old range is like, they're probably yeah. getting the same level of dog experience that they were before. And maybe they're just doing more leashed walks. So they're not getting the same opportunities. And then here we are, right? Where the dog is like, but there is a dog over there. Yeah. yeah. And it builds and it builds. So um, you know, this is something that's near and dear to my heart because my youngest dog, Waylon, um, you know, I did, I did a terrible job of leash training him as a puppy and there was always tension and it caused a whole host of issues, but that turned into a thing, right? At like six, seven months old, he's like, what do you mean? We're not going to say hi to this dog. <laughs> you know what I mean? Q yeah, meltdown yeah. yeah. at the end of the leash, right? Where he's like, but, but there's a dog over there. Oh my God. So I really had to take a, a couple of steps back from him seeing other dogs on leash until I could solidify a little bit more of like the loose leash walking mm -hmm. because the combination of those two, two of those things, if I wouldn't have worked that he would still be a nightmare. Yeah. You know? So yeah. I think that, you know, for everyone listening, if you have a dog in that age range and you are seeing some of that, like over the top excited stuff about seeing other dogs, I want to encourage you to try and get out and do some leash stuff, do some experiences where there's not going to be that level of distraction yeah. and a little bit more skill set. <clears throat> Look at that games are really good as well. So, so um, I can't remember. I mean, I remember, I think the first person I've ever heard this from, and I'm, I don't know, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't screen. I've heard it referred to as screensaver training, right? But who, who referred to it as that? I think they're a bit, pants but um, you can probably cut that bit out maybe cut this bit out but this is um can we like cut this little bit out because it was Zach George who first said it right screensaver training which and I, I I'm sure we have similar opinions about Jack, Zach George yes. um <laughs> but he referred to it as screensaver training and to be fair to him it is exactly what you should be doing so with a dog like that um look at that training so you just basically you just you sit down somewhere, you stand somewhere and you just reinforce when they look at you. So again, you're, you're reinforcing the engagement with you rather than the environment or the dog in the environment. Um, as maybe, as maybe the case, just stuff like that can, can help with that stuff like that. It sounds like similar stuff you did with Waylon. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. So, um, and you know, there, I think that it's hard because at six months old, six months old, I don't think that everyone is understanding that like, we're really shifting to behavior modification here, right? Like, we're not socializing. It's not just like teaching sit. Like there's a lot of like association mm -hmm. building that we're super careful about doing. So yeah. um, I think that six to 12 months old is such an amazing time to really like stay clear about some of the behavior modification protocols because mm -hmm. then at a year old, whew, okay, the dog has all of these associations and now we can kind of start to like enjoy them for the one-year-old dog and not feeling like, oh my God, mm -hmm. what monster are they going to turn into? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's a very, very good point. I think, yeah, if you're, if your dog's showing certain behaviors until about six months old, if they're still going, you need to do something about them. Right. Because if you can tackle it now, right? Yeah. In that age range, you have a much higher chance of the desired yes. outcome. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. 100%. Right? Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. Dog has been practicing being reactive 
for six months, 12 months, years and years, you can still change behavior, but it is not the same efficiency that yes. were to do it sooner. Yeah, yeah. You put that very well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? <It's> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, I want to talk about some other things that could be causes of reactivity. So I think that obviously negative experiences, regardless of the timeline in the dog's life, can absolutely be causes of reactivity. Yep. Like being attacked yep. by a dog, maybe being encroached by a person that spooked them, maybe a bike spooked them. Like a lot can happen. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I think that there's also a lot of other stuff that maybe we are unintentionally or intentionally doing that can also cause reactivity. And, you know, I really don't like to blame the owner. That's not my intention here. Mm. So everyone listening, please like listen to this with open ears. I'm not trying to pass judgment here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're trying to help. We're trying to help you at the end yeah, of the day. Trying, yeah. I mean. <laughs> but I think that, you know, we have this, this, innate desire for everyone else in the world to see our dogs as the beautiful dogs that they are. And then when our dogs start to act outside of that, right, they start to pull, lunge, bark. We have this like desire to like pull them in and rein them in and make them stop. And I think that in and of itself can be a Makes huge- Makes it worse. Yes. Yes. Right. Like- Yeah, it does. Especially if you have a dog who's reactive because of leave frustration. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, as the handler in this situation, you have a lot of work here, right? Mm -hmm. You have to one, mentally be prepared for people passing judgment, but you yes. can't let that out, outside stuff impact no. what you're doing because it's only just going to turn into this terrible cycle of behavior that you mm -hmm. can't get out of. Right. Mm -hmm. So if your dog is displaying reactive behavior, they're lunging, they're barking, your job is to get them to somewhere safe where they don't feel like they have to do that. Jerking at the leash, yep. yelling at them, adding tension to the situation while maybe in the moment it feels like the right thing. It is a slippery slope because yeah. you're making it worse. Yeah. It's funny actually, because Sabre, our rescue was severely lead reactive when we got her severely. Um, to the point that within the first week of having her, she did actually get on a dog and pin it by its neck. Not, no damage or anything, but that's what happened. Um, and I mean, the situation was, was silly anyway. I mean, now that I look back on it, I just wish I could just erase that and just cringe at myself and just that never happened. But essentially what happened was um, we, had, we had had Sabre a week and obviously knowing what I, I know more than I knew then. Okay. Um, but we wanted to obviously introduce her to other dogs and we came across this lady with a small little bush and freeze looking kind of thing. And um, I said, Oh, is your dog okay? And she said, yeah. And I said, okay. So like I said, I totally want to clean it. So we did not least greeting. Oh my God. Oh my God. I just want to cry at myself right now. We did not least greeting. Um, and although Sable was a bit overzealous, I think it would have gone fine. But as they were just about to me, the woman said, Oh, actually he can be a bit funny. At this point, the dog had lifted its lip and Sabre just was like, I'm not having that. Um, so she ended up getting on top of the dog. It was fine. No injuries or, any, or anything like that. But um, just going back to your point of, of, of the, the lead frustration and pulling them back can add to it and the, the leash correction. So as you know, as I believe you know, I'm a crossover trainer. Yeah. And I used to use a lot of lead corrections with Sabre. Um, and it worked. Don't get me wrong. It worked to a point because 
once I obviously my philosophy started changing and I started changing the way I did things with Sabre. So very much just being still very kind of directive, leave it, you know, being, being quite still being fairly, cause she's a dog that, that sometimes she forgets herself a lot. So sometimes yeah. I think you posted something at Whalen where you said, leave it. Yeah. So kind of the same thing. Um, and so we do a lot of that with her now, but it's very much what the, while she's doing the right thing the whole way, it's all that encouragement. Cause I think she has, she's very anxious dog. Um, and the corrections, although they, su- they suppressed it, she was still very anxious. And in situations where the dog was too close, we would still have her trying to like sort of pull across us and, and stuff like that. Now, since I've been using positive stuff, her positive reinforcement, she can walk at hill past dogs literally on top of them. Like no problem. So, and she was, like I said, severely lead reactive, severely. So, you know, all that changed is, is we just, we gave her a bit more confidence all while at the same time. We, we, we just made, made what the, what the right thing to do was a lot more obvious because she was, she was anxious. And, you know, looking back on it now, I, I, I do, it's just, it's just so stupid. Don't get me wrong. We did a lot of good stuff. We did a lot of the right stuff. I took her out on a long, long line to big fields where we could get distance from dogs, rewarding her for when she came to me, but we still had the corrections in, in that, that journey, you know? And I think if we just had the nice stuff without the corrections, we probably would have got, got there a lot sooner. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I feel, I feel for everyone who owns a reactive dog, especially large breed dogs, because holy shit, it is a lot to hold on to the end of that. Scary. It's scary. And it's it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. And it, and it does, there's, there's been times where I've, I've wanted to cry with Sabre, you know, it's tough. And I do, I do, I find a lot of owners. And like you said, we're, we're definitely not owner shaming because I find that a lot of owners who do have reactive dogs, have it's it's unintentional and they're just trying to make the they're trying to do the right thing by the dog and unfortunately sometimes the right thing down to a lack of just not knowing um they make it worse but that that's not because they're actively trying to and I mean I'm sure no one listening to this podcast is actively trying to it's just they don't know any better you know so that's where people like us come in and we help them and and I find that a lot of people that I work with, and I'm sure it's the same for you, that they don't, they realize actually the process can actually be quite quick, yeah. surprisingly quick for some dogs, because, you know, sometimes it can be as simple as, you know, um, the dog just needs to socialize with, with appropriate dogs. Just, just a bit of that can help. You know, when I, when I use um, our dogs for, for sessions, I barely do anything. They do all the work for me because it's just getting the dog comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think that, you know, there's this fallacy that like only aversive punitive techniques will get super quick results. And that is so far from the truth, truly. So I want to circle back to the using more corrections and, you know, quote unquote, aversive training techniques. So um, I think that it's important to note that it does quote unquote work, that it does suppress behavior in the moment. Um, mm-hmm. So can you share a little bit more about that? Okay, so when when I was using a lot more leash corrections with Sabre, she would she would list she would listen to it, and she would so say for example, I had her on leash and we were walking past a dog or whatever, and I went to give her a leash, a leash correction. She would generally kind of fall back into position, but we weren't solving the problem. 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We weren't solving the problem, really. Um, if I if I had carried on doing that, just the least corrections and put and putting her on the lead. I mean, if if she was off the lead, I'd, you know, um, she's generally better off the lead than on the lead. So obviously, her main problem is on the lead. So I just just ignore that. I was going to go down a rabbit hole, but there's no need for me to go down a rabbit hole. Um, but yeah, she was on the lead, so I'd give her a least correction, and it, it didn't solve the problem because she was she was anxious. That was that was the and I should have I should have realized I, I know better. Um I do know better and I certainly know better now, but my philosophy's changed a lot over the last year or so. Um it didn't change her emotional state. So say for example, I had we had walked past the dog, I had corrected her and we got past that dog fine. Say if we met another dog, she was still anxious. So she would then pull more for the other dog and it just it it was it was suppressed, but she was still it was almost like she was holding on to it. Do you know what I mean? And we weren't actually changing her emotions and, and how she felt about it. If if I if we had just kept with the lead correction thing and, and not gone more down the path of positive reinforcement, like I said, we did do positive reinforcement, but a lot of the on lead stuff wasn't, unless we were using a long line and stuff. But obviously, when you start getting more progressed, you want to start going towards going down narrower paths, which means you can't really use a long line down a narrow path. That's just not a good idea. Um, so if I had carried on, yeah, just correcting her, she would still, there's no way she would be walking off lead past dogs at Hill without trying to go to them. She would still have that anxiety because I think, and I've, 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 I've actually, I have, I have former clients who I think this, this happened to them is if I found that if you correct a dog, when they see a dog, you can actually cause reactivity that way as well, because they, they realize I've just seen a dog. Mum's told me off they must be related. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so it's, so you obviously run that, that risk. Um, and yeah, I, I know it, I know a dog who, who is reactive for that reason. Yeah. Um, right. And I think, you know, I think that that's a really great transition into like the emotional causes of reactivity. Right. Because it's, you know, it's so much more than just the surface behavior, right? Like what we're really after when we're working in a training session is changing the emotion behind the surface behavior. Yes. And yes. So I think especially when it comes to fear and or anxiety, um, mm. you are using, you know, a, a pinch collar, for example, and to your point, right? Every time they see a dog, they're getting pinched. Of course, they're going to think dogs are terrible right? Like you've created that, right? And I think that, you know, it is what it is, right? So if someone's listening and, and you're like, oh my God, this is what I've been doing. You can move on. You can change from now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, yeah, it's easy. You could just use it. <laughs> ownership for the fact that we created that behavior chain, right? And, you know, yep. I think that for the frustrated greeters, maybe they're not fearful or anxious. Maybe they're frustrated. I think it still mm. works against us in the same way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even if, cause obviously if, if a dog performs a behavior enough as well, sometimes you can, you, you start to spill into habit territory. So the dog reacts when there's no emotion, there's no emotion behind it. You know, um, it's, it's sometimes very hard to tell a habit behavior to a behavior that, that doesn't have any emotion no, sorry. It's hard, sometimes hard to tell a habit behavior to a, a, a behavior that has like emotion fueled behind, fueled behind, if that makes sense. Yeah. Generally, the, the dog with habit behaviors, the dog comes down very quickly. Um, but in, in, even in cases of, of habit 
you'd probably get away with using an aversive more, but you don't, you don't need to, you can get the same results by using positive reinforcement. And, you know, in a, in, in a situation where it's, it's, it's a habit using an aversive could then make it emotion fueled. So, <laughs> you know, just, just, you know, there, I, don't get me wrong. I think, I think I wouldn't use a prong collar, but I think e-collars can have their uses um in, in very very certain situations but for stuff like reactivity that's not the the way to go because if there's if there's emotion behind the behavior which is anxiety fear aggression even um you're you will more than likely make it worse or at the very least you'll suppress it and then you run the risk of the dog redirecting onto you at a later point because obviously where they're suppressing it imagine all these blocks are just building up building up building up and then something could happen two weeks down the line and all of these things that are built up the dog snaps at, 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 at a human and then you've got another behavior on your on your hands you know so it, it just it, yeah it's you don't you just don't yeah <laughs> just don't use them just don't use them you know for, for stuff like reactivity they just no it just shouldn't I don't think they should be used for stuff like that personally. No, and I agree, right? And like to your point, we can get the desired outcome with food and management and careful training, right? Like we can get you there. Like it's totally possible. It is totally doable. Yes. Um, I do also want to just touch on something because I think that um, it's important that sometimes there is misfiring in the brain and sometimes medication is just, it has to be a part of the equation. Yes, yes. Right? And I think yep. that that's you know, I think that there's a bit of a stigma around meds, but uh, you know, I think that in my career, like early on, I think that it was harder to convey to people why I felt like medication was so important. But, you know, as I progress and, you know, I think I was looking, I'm on my 250th reactive dog team. Yeah. Um, after that many situations and, and of reactivity, I see how quickly the meds work and how much faster we can get to the end result. So yeah. I want everyone listening to know, like, obviously we're trying to talk about preventing reactivity, but I do think that meds is still a part of that equation. Yeah. And muscle training. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Muscle training. 110 million percent muscle training. Because at the end of the day, safety is, is paramount. Safety of you, safety of, of your, of, of the, of, of the reactive dog and any dogs that you decide to introduce to that reactive dog, then it's, muzzle training should be a part of any reactivity don't get me wrong i used to like i said as i've, I've progressed a lot I, I never used to um su like sort of suggest muzzle training with reactive dogs um especially if if the reactivity wasn't severe but it's just not worth the risk it is just not worth the risk especially when conditioning a basket muzzle is really quite quick and easy yep yep Yep. And just going back to the point of, of not needing a prong collar and, and, and a knee collar and stuff like that is, is if, if done right, the whole desensitization counter conditioning process, which is, which is what I do in most of my reactivity and I'm sure you're the same is, can be surprisingly quick. Again, going back to, it can be quick. Don't get me wrong. That's not saying that, you know, every dog is different however your long your dog takes your dog takes but if you are working with a professional generally i find that actually the results are quicker than most people expect right because i think that you know in my experience my clients are like reserved like how much food do i really need to be using how often do i really need to be reinforcing and i feel like the second i give them permission to be like 
every single time your dog sees their trigger, we're doing the behavior modification protocol, that in and of itself greatly expedites the learning process, right? Because it's not just like the handler's not clear, the dog is losing it. Like I think that once we can get the trajectory of the handler and the dog working together, then, you know, it really comes together nicely. And to your point, right? Like there's, this, I don't want to, I, I don't want you guys to think that there's just like this miracle overnight fix, but I think that by using management and understanding like maybe your dog needs to go to quieter places for now, maybe you need to create a little bit more space while we work on some of the, you know, behavior modification protocols, just doing that makes it easier for you as the handler and makes the dog's job easier. And I feel like doing that, we can get to the end result so much sooner than this like torturous, like must walk dog past 500 dogs every day. Right. It doesn't have to be Mm -hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's funny. You, you actually remind me of of a case that I, that I worked with. Um, sadly, the dog's no longer with the owners just because he had severe food aggression, and they just just it just wasn't the right setup for them. So he, the dog is um did get rehomed or has gone back to the, the shelter, but they had him for a while, and he had he I believe within a week of having him, he got attacked by a group of staffies. Um, he, and he's a little Chihuahua type dog, so he went to the vets. He had, he had to have stitches and everything like that. And he became really, my, I think, my most dog reactive case that I've worked with. He would redirect onto, like, branches and, like, rip them to pieces and stuff. Yeah. Really, really severe. Yeah, really, really severe. So um, we basically put him on a desensitization and counter conditioning, you know, um, protocol. So it's, um, oh, my God, what is the name of the game now? The Engage, Disengage game. Yes. Right. So we did, he's, he was very food motivated, thank the Lord. He was so, he was very food motivated. So um, essentially we got to the point where Danny would see a dog. Um, obviously we did, the, you know, the different levels. I'm, I assume you know what the game is. We did yes. different levels. But he got to the point where Danny would see a dog, spring back to his owner. Um, see a dog, spring back to his owner. So whenever he saw a dog, his first protocol was, oh, I'm going to get food. Um, so that built up and built, I mean, his owners were excellent. I mean, it's, it's, it's sad that he went back to the, to the shelter and stuff because he was quite unpredictable, but his owners were brilliant with him. So, so, so brilliant with him. And, um, he, he then got to the point because obviously that was built and built over time. And it, this was quite a short time frame. I can't remember exactly the time frame, but it was months. It definitely wasn't years. Um, I want to say under six months, maybe, maybe around three, um, and it got to the point where, because obviously we had changed his emotional response to dogs, you know, we were hoping for at least a neutral, you know, a neutral dog who just, okay, he wasn't going to like dogs, but he would tolerate them and, and he wouldn't freak out whenever he saw one. But he actually became a dog that would run around and play with other dogs, which is crazy. Um, and they sent me videos of him running around and playing with collies and, and stuff like that. He's, he's met both my dogs and was perfectly fine with them and um, played with them and stuff. Um, he he could get a bit funny when they came into his house still um again down to the like resource aggression he had really like beyond severe resource aggression um we we did help that but not it was still very unpredictable but anyway that's by the by um but yeah we got him to that point and that was all that was all positive reinforcement i think he was a big turning point for me because i realized damn damn he changed and he really changed and it didn't take long. And if we had used a versus with him, oh my God, his owners probably would have been bitten. Right. And he wouldn't have had those opportunities to play with other dogs. No, 
No, yeah, 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 yeah. I think that to me, like that is why I I time and time again, choose positive reinforcement, least intrusive, minimally aversive, because it opens up worlds. It doesn't close off worlds. Because I feel like, you know, with with the aversive training techniques, you always have to be in control. You're always doing corrections. And that doesn't open up possibilities. Yeah closes doors because you have to do X, Y, or Z. But with positive reinforcement, you change that association. It's changed, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. What Mm -hmm. else can we do now? Right. Instead of feeling like you're like married to corrections every day, forever and all. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't breed a healthy mindset as well. Since using positive reinforcement, I'm a lot more of a positive person, you know, and that's, that's a whole nother podcast. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. So any final thoughts on causes of reactivity? Um, read your dogs. Learn, learn how to read your dogs. You know, go out, if you can, watch loads of videos on YouTube and get good at reading dogs. Learn to read your dog. Um, because they, they communicate to us all the time. And it's, it's so sad because obviously when, when I was more, more, you know, when I was, was balanced, when I was using balance stuff, there was so much I missed because it was like, no, I don't want you doing that. What are you doing? Do what I told you to do. What I say, whereas now it's very much, okay, why are you not doing this? Oh, okay. Maybe you need this or maybe you need, you know, it's, it's just, it opens up. They communicate with us and the, 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 um, the gift of, that communication going two ways and that understanding is, is, is far beyond any obedience that I want from my dog. You know, that, that both my dogs are very obedient. Um, you know, and I, I'll admit that some of that is, is cause of their history with, you know, with aversives, but the level of, of, I guess, obedience I have now with them, just using positive reinforcements, is far much more fun. Their body language is so much better. They enjoy it more. They, I, they, they want to, they want to check in. They want to give me engagement because I, I make fun things happen. You know, they don't want to run away from me or, or have their head low and stuff because they think I'm mad. A lot of the time now, if I get mad, it's very much, oh, silly dog, whatever. Or why, why, why can't you do this? It's very much, oh, silly dog, whatever, move on. Or say, for example, in a real world situation, okay, why is Honey not listening? Ah, okay, there's too much going on around. Do you know what I mean? So it's just having that understanding. I think if you, if you know how to read your dogs and understand what a dog is like, because I think we expect dogs to be humans and they're not, they're dogs. Um, so knowing, knowing what it is to be a dog and, and how a dog's brain works to at least some extent, yeah, you, there are resources that you can obviously um, read. I would recommend The Culture Clash by Jean Donaldson because it's brilliant. Um, it, it gave me a really, really, I haven't finished it, but I mean, I, I think I'm about a third of the way through, but the stuff I read was just like, yes, like it makes, it makes so much sense. And it gave me, again, all these things have just pieced together, which is why my philosophy's changed. But yeah, learn to read your dogs because I think, if you are your dog's advocate, they don't need to do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree anymore. And I think that that's, you know, for everything, but especially at the reactivity, that if you can learn to read and understand the subtle communications from your individual dog, the training is going to be a breeze. 
right? Yes. If you can understand them, then you know what to do to change in the moment. And I feel like understanding and knowing what these subtle things mean is so mm. empowering on what our makes them tick. Yes. Right. And then we know what to do with that information instead yes. of like, yes, yes, go from here. Right. Yeah. I think that that's very common for reactive dog owners being like, okay, and what do we do about this? Mm. <laughs> like, where do we mm. go from here? But mm. when you have the tools as the reactive dog owner, that's when you start yeah. to super meaningful behavior change. Yeah. I don't know if we have time, but um, can I just add something about Sabo? Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I chalk up a lot of Sabo's transformation around. We found out. But it was very, very early on that she loved fetch. She loved fetch. I mean, when we went to the rehoming center and they took us out to like a little area so we could interact with her, we had a ball and she was listening. She was listening to us doing sit down stuff and, and we were throwing the ball around for her. <laughs> the woman basically ended up like just doing the paperwork after that point because she was like, well, a bit awkward if you guys said no because I already done the paperwork because you saw how we was interact with her and using her motivation. Um, so Sabre is a dog who used to bolt to other dogs bolt to other dogs like she we could be one end of a field and she would bolt to other dogs she wouldn't do anything when she got there but she 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 had a bit of a bad chasing behavior where you know when they run along a dog's back and nip on the top of the back she used to do that stuff silly dog um so yeah she used to she used to do that stuff and obviously she's motivated by a ball that's what makes her tick so we built a lot of impulse control around her ball so throwing it, getting her to wait first, building up to the point where we could throw it and get her, get her weight on the way to the ball. So building up a lot of impulse control and that bled over. So, you know, finding out what your dog takes, finding out what your dog wants to work for and, and using that to help, help your dog's reactivity is, is always the, the better option to go. You know? Absolutely, because not only do you have a dog with amazing impulse control, you can play fetch, it's a brilliant outlet for her, but then you have a dog who thinks about controlling their impulses in other aspects. Yes. And I, I mean, yes. just circle back to positive reinforcement as if everyone listening needed just another reason why it's the best. That positive stuff that ripples across the board, we don't have to worry about fallout. We just get to enjoy the amazing good stuff that we start yep. to in other unintended places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's funny. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because the chihuahua dog that got attacked that I mentioned a while ago, he didn't have a recall, but because where he got so used to going back to the owners, like rubber banding, oh, I see a dog or I'll get a tree, I got a he had recall. He had recall, they didn't even train it. He just had it because that's how, how he, we built his, um, his, his dog reactivity stuff, how we solved that. That's just, and then he just, it was just second nature to him. He just would always spring back to his owners. Yes. Yes, like those patterns of behavior that we need. You get positive fallout. Positive fallout. It's the best. Everyone listening to this podcast, <laughs> yeah. say ripple effects pretty much like every yeah. single week. You do. You get, you get positive fallout. Yeah, you do. Right, right. Oh my God. Thank you so much. Okay, so oh, where, no, it's okay. people, where can people go to connect with you? Um, so Instagram's probably the best place. I'm pretty active on there. Probably way too active today. Um, so that's at C3DBAT official. Um, you can also go on my website, which is www.c3dbat.co.uk. 
Um, I do offer online consults. So for those listening in, in America, you can actually contact me if you are in America. Obviously, I won't fly out there unless you want to <laughs> pay for that to happen. <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, Instagram's probably the best place. So at, yeah, at C3DVAT official. I think that is the best. I'm trying to think. Oh, and Patreon. You can also um, find me on Patreon. So that's uh, patreon.com slash C3DVAT if you want to check that out and support me and the stuff I do. Amazing. Thank you for such a <laughs> Oh, thank you. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about us, please check us out on Instagram at a good feeling underscore in co. You can also find us on Facebook at a good feeling dog training, as well as our website, agfdogtraining.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah.